by show of hands, if you had something in your teeth, who would want someone to tell you? Of course, right? Because we don't want everyone else to know something about us, and we're the only ones who don't know, right? Anybody else felt that embarrassment before? Uh, before we hop in any further, my name is Danny Householder. I'm a pastor here at Hope Ames. Get to be a part of Kairos. I'm so glad that we get to hang out together. I'm so glad for those of you who are in this room. I'm so glad for those of you who are joining us online and in Iowa City. Which camera are we looking at? Are we looking at that one? If everybody, if you can see that camera, look at that camera. Lift up a hand. Say, what's up, Iowa City? So glad that we get to join together. Um, so tonight we are in week two of our series called Emotionally Healthy Relationships, and we're talking about self-awareness. It's good to be aware of yourself. It's good to be aware of what you look like. It's good to be aware of how you're presenting yourself, and it does not necessarily have to be in a vain way. I want to dive deep into that tonight. So you saw in that opening clip, there's a woman who has something in her teeth, it's not good when you have that feeling. It's not embarrassing just because you have something in your teeth. There's nothing necessarily embarrassing about getting something stuck uh, after eating. That's a normal thing. The embarrassing thing is that everyone else saw it and you didn't. It's like you're living in this oblivion and you wonder, who all saw that? When I was in seminary, I was interning at a church in Minnesota and uh, one of like maybe the fourth or fifth sermons I ever preached, I was extremely nervous. And uh, so as I was extremely nervous, I was kind of rushing my way through the morning and right before I needed to go up and preach, I also needed to use the restroom, right? And I like zip through there as quickly as I possibly can. Now, I went through that process a little too quickly. I did wash my hands. I want to make sure that I note that. But I didn't really look in the mirror very closely. Because I get up, I preach the sermon, and everyone is extremely engaged. Like they're looking at me very closely and like, the spirit of the Lord has moved upon me this morning. Wow! Lord, you brought me to the right calling. You're welcome for the obedience. After the sermon, I step off to the side, and the senior pastor looks at me, and he goes, look at your belly button. And I'm like, what? He goes, look at your belly button. He meant literally, look at your belly button, because when I tucked in my shirt, it was a button shirt, I accidentally left the bottom unbuttoned, and I split my shirt, and everyone in the congregation could see my belly button the entire morning. And now it makes sense why in the traditional service, where it's typically older women who are attending, they're looking at me like, hmm, can't unsee that. I mean, like, now given that is a little bit embarrassing if everybody can see your belly button, but the most embarrassing part about it was that I was the only one who didn't know. It's not good to be unaware of how you're doing, about how you're feeling. Again, it's not just because you're feeling vain, but it's because you feel left out. It's because you're missing something about yourself. We're going to hop into that tonight, and this is going to be deep, and it might even be kind of hard. So buckle in. Turn to the person next to you and say, you feeling good? Cool. You can, you can answer that honestly, by the way. You can answer that honestly. In this series, Emotionally Healthy Relationships, we remember that it is centered around the most important commandment that Jesus gives us. We heard this last week. Let's take a look at it again. This is Matthew chapter 22. Jesus says the most important commandment is that you would, let's read this together, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. According to Jesus, loving God and loving people are inseparable from one another. And so we're diving into this series together to find out how can we love other people better because this is the way that God has intended for us to live our lives. 
And when we live our lives the way that God intended for us, we realize that our heart, our soul, and our mind are fulfilled. I told you that we're going deeper tonight. Speaking of deeper, let's go beneath the surface and talk about icebergs. Ever heard the phrase, tip of the iceberg? We say tip of the iceberg when there's more than what meets the eye at the surface. An iceberg, as you can see in this picture, oftentimes you can see maybe about 10% of it. What you don't see is about the 90% of the iceberg that is beneath the surface. And it can be catastrophic. It can be tragic. The most famous example of this came with the Titanic tragedy, right? Where, they, where the stories say that the crew saw the iceberg from far away, but they only saw 10%, and that 10% was above the surface. The dangerous part was what was beneath the surface. And that is what caused the shipwreck. I think that our lives can sometimes be a lot like an iceberg. There's a lot that we see that's on the surface, so it seems. But the reality is maybe what we see, what we post, what we tell people about, the things that we show up to physically speaking, that's about the tip of the iceberg. It's maybe 10% of our lives. And beneath the surface, every single one of us is a deep, spiritual individual. There is the physical world that we see on the surface, but God has given you a heart, a soul, and a mind, and you are a deep person. To some of you, you're like, yeah, I'm deep. To other of you, you're like, please, not another deep talk, right? But no, it's true. You are deep. You're deep. You're spiritual. God's given you this. And we could just pay attention to the things that are on the 10%, or we could go beneath the surface. If we avoid the things that are beneath the surface, those are sometimes the dangerous parts. Those are sometimes the reasons why our relationships break, because we only look at what's above rather than taking a dive deep. To really understand someone, I mean like the 90% of someone. Now, for some of us, we feel really comfortable talking about what's beneath the surface. In fact, some of us are maybe a little too willing to overshare what's beneath the surface. Some of you have no problem getting up here and telling stories about your belly button showing. Others of you do not feel comfortable with that whatsoever. In fact, I would say that oftentimes in Christian circles, Christians are the ones who are the least likely to talk about what's beneath the surface. It's like we think that just because you know God, and just because you believe that you have life after death, and just because you believe that Jesus lived, died for your sins, and rose from the dead so that you can live forever, well, that means that you should never have bad feelings beneath the surface. You should never be complicated underneath the waters. But that's just not true, is it? Have you read your Bibles lately? You read this in the, in the reading for tonight. It's Psalm chapter 139. It says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. The beginning of this chapter says, Lord, you know every single detail about me. And by the end of this passage, as you're seeing on the screen right there, David said, the author of this psalm, he said, I want to know about those things. I want to know what's deep and beneath the surface. Just because you're a Christian does not mean that you won't experience the full range of feelings. It does not mean that you won't still be a complicated person. Now, we can ignore those things and just continue to say things, post things, show up to places that look good on the surface, or we can be real about what's beneath the surface and be healthier people and enjoy healthier relationships. Again, some of us, we do not like going to this place. Around half of young adults are dealing with depression and anxiety, um, according to the World Health Organization. 
Also, according to the WHO, only 30 to 80 percent, or thir excuse me, 30 to 80 percent of people who are suffering from anxiety and depression are not seeking help for it, because we don't want to go underneath the surface. We don't want to dig deep. I think that part of it is because we don't want other people to find out what's underneath the surface, right? One more time, the World Health Organization, the World Health Organization, did I say that right? The World Health Organization, yes, the World Health Organization, they also said that the number one reason why people refuse to be honest, to seek help for their problems that they're facing in their mind, the things that are beneath the surface, is a fear of vulnerability. Turn to the person next to you and say, let's get vulnerable. <laughs> did I hear a few people murmur, no. <laughs> Not today. Hey, if you're not ready to get vulnerable, that's okay. Let me also say this. Some of you, if someone asks you, how you doing? And you say, oh, I'm good. And then they ask, no, how are you really? <laughs> for some of you, like, that's music to your ears. But for most of us, that doesn't mean you're a safe person. That means you're nosy. And now I don't want to talk to you, right? <laughs> I get it. Being vulnerable can be really hard. And in one side of the coin, it is that we don't want other people to see what's beneath the surface. But do you think that maybe part of it is deep down, I don't want to know what's beneath the surface. I don't really want to talk about my feelings. I don't want to discover what's down there. It can be scary. I might surprise myself. Listen, the Bible insinuates that you are a complicated person. You'll have all sorts of different kinds of feelings. It never once says that what's beneath the surface always has to match what's at the top. In the book of Ecclesiastes, this might surprise you. It says there's a season for everything in life. Christians are not people who just walk around and always feel happy, are always playful, are always singing praises. No, sometimes we lament. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says, For everything there is a season, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to love and a time to hate. Did you know that your Bible says there is a time to hate? Some of you are like, yes! Now, it never says that you can hate a person. It says that we can hate evil. It says that we can hate brokenness. You can hate sickness, disease. You can hate the things that tear us apart. There will be times in your life when you will feel good. There will be times in your life when you feel bad. We have feelings. We're complicated people. There is something beneath the surface for all of us, and it's important for us to be aware of what's beneath the surface. Even more important than some of the stories that we see of regular people in the Bible, Jesus himself had deep feelings of emotion. In John chapter 11, we see two very deep feelings of emotion. It says, a deep anger welled up within him. He had shown up to a funeral, and he's so angered, he's disturbed, he is troubled by the death of his friend. Just a few verses later, it says, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the entire Bible. You want to memorize the Bible verse tonight? Ready? Say it with me. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Scholars, so good. Jesus experienced anger. Jesus experienced deep sadness. Just before Jesus was arrested and put on trial to be crucified, he told his disciples, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Jesus was not some blank, no emotion, frozen kind of Messiah. He was deep. He was emotional. This is your God. It is okay to have emotions. It is okay to have feelings beneath the surface. It is okay that some people in your life aren't seeing the full picture of you. But it's important that someone does. But first, it's important that you know. It's important that you know what's beneath the surface. Because there are some truths about your emotions that exist 
deep beneath the surface. Let's talk about some truths about emotions. I'm going to tell you the first one, and then after that, we're going to go into a story in the Bible that digs into the truths about emotion and how Jesus deals with those, the things that are beneath the surface. Then I'll show you two more after that. The first truth about emotion is this. Unprocessed emotions don't die. In fact, unprocessed emotions will only be buried and buried alive. And they just have their way of finding their way out of the ground. They just show up again. Have you ever had an experience where you try to bury something, ignore something, but it is persistent, and it shows up, and it keeps on coming back into your life? So my way through college, uh, and then through seminary, and then when I first moved here to Ames, I drove a, uh, I drove a blue... 2004 Hyundai Sonata. Yeah. Anybody? Anybody relate to that car? I tell you what, if you, can, uh, if you have a junker of a car, you can relate to the experience that I had with this car. Uh, this car started off just fine. Um, I don't know if I treated it the best. I really don't know because I don't know enough about cars to know if I treated it the best. But what I do know is when I got it, things were fine. By the end of it, things were not fine. And that check engine light kept on popping up. Is anybody here just like... Ignorance is blissed when it comes to the check, check engine light. Yeah. Like, hey, what I can't see doesn't hurt me. You know what I mean? It's not true, is it? By the time that I was living here in Ames, the check engine light had been on for probably six months. You can pray for me or you can judge me. God knows, okay? He knows the truth. So I hadn't checked the, the engine I had done some superficial things, right? Like, uh, like I don't know, change the, 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 wind, the windshield wipers, right? Like, that should fix it. But then the problem started to surface. The light wasn't lying to me. After a while, I could not turn the key in, my, uh, in whatever that is, the, the ignition. Yeah, that, I know so much about cars, can you tell? That thing, you know, that rivets the engine on. I couldn't turn the key, it would get jammed, but rather than taking it to someone. I instead found out the exact number of shakes and twists and turns of the steering wheel and taps on the brake that I had to do just to turn it on. Okay, it's just surface stuff, right? It would happen again, try to fix it, happen again, try to fix it, happen again. I was like, well, maybe it's just a problem with the key. Maybe the key's just grinded down. So I take my keys to Lowe's, I get a new set of keys. The problems maybe go away for just like a week. I kept on telling myself, there's nothing to it. There's no real deep issue here. Then one day, I was driving to a wedding that I was officiating. This wedding was south of Des Moines. It's about an hour and a half, an hour and a half away from here in Ames. I was going to be plenty on time, for the record. Plenty on time. Just before I got to Des Moines, I stopped at a gas station to fill up. When I came out of the gas station, I get in my car. I do the doom, 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 turn the, turn the steering wheel a couple times, tap the brakes. And then I twist, and it twisted, but absolutely nothing happened. I mean nothing. The car didn't click, a light didn't turn on, it just twisted and said, I'm dead. The car wouldn't turn on. Now, mind you, I needed to get somewhere. I'm wearing my suit, I've got my Bible, I have to get to this wedding. It was terrible, and I can't get it fixed. I go inside the gas station, I'm like, hey, I need some help. It just so happened that the guy who's beside me in line, he goes, oh, I'm actually, a, I'm actually a, a, a mechanic student at DMAC. I can come out and help you out. I'm like, this is perfect, Godson. He looks at it, he goes, no, this is broken. It's not going to work. <laughs> I, mean, I was terrified. I mean, I've got an hour to go until this meeting, until this wedding, and I've still got maybe like, I don't know, 30 minutes of a drive. I called the nearest Uber. The nearest Uber happened to be like, 
25 minutes away. The Uber shows up, they pick me up. I, and Uber is really expensive, by the way, when you have to drive out to rural Iowa, very far away. And you don't know embarrassment until you show up to a wedding and you walk up and everyone knows that they can't start without you. These things that I was trying to suppress, these things that I was trying to put away, they kept on showing up and they kept on giving me these warning signs and I kept on trying to bury it, but it kept on coming back out. The check engine light wasn't lying to me. It was telling me there's something happening beneath the surface and you can try to bury it, but it will not die. Your car will die, but the problem will not die. <laughs> Unprocessed emotions, they don't die. Ignorance is not bliss. It's important to know what's happening beneath the surface. In John chapter 4, there's one of the most famous stories about Jesus' interactions with people. Jesus met a woman who is from Samaria. It says this in John chapter 4, Jesus had to go to Samaria on the way, tired from the long walk. He sat wearily beside the well around noontime. Now, Jesus is in a peculiar place. He's probably the wrong person to be in this place, in fact. Jesus was a Jewish man, and Jewish people did not like Samaritans. If you think that there are racial divides today, multiply that. I mean, there were serious racial divides back then. An actual prayer that was recorded from Jewish people back in those days was, Lord, thank you so much for not making me a Samaritan, for not making me a dog like them. Racism was just out. I mean, it was out in the open, and people weren't ashamed of it. Jewish people and Samaritans didn't get along. They would find any possible way to get out of one another's communities. But Jesus specifically, purposely shows up to Samaria. And he sits down at a well around noon. No one should have been there around noon. People didn't go to the well around noon. It was hot. People didn't go to a place where they'd be scorched by the sun in the middle of the day. Jesus should have been there alone. But soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Jesus shows up to a place where nobody else should be at this time of day. And yet here comes a Samaritan woman. Why is she here? Doesn't she know how it works? She must have come here every single day to get water from the well. Didn't she know? People don't come to the well at noontime. It's too hot. It's not safe. The only reason why someone would show up to this place at this time is if they didn't want people to see them. As if what everybody else saw on the surface with her would have been bad. And she wasn't ready for them to look beneath the surface. Absolutely not. She's a Samaritan woman, and perhaps it's a nightmare come true. She gets to this well, and of all the people she sees, it's a Jewish man. Jesus says, would you give me some water? And politely, she says, you're not supposed to talk to people like me. He responds to her cleverly. He said, if you only knew the gift that God has for you on the next slide and who you are speaking to, if you only knew the gift God has for you, <laughs> I tell you what, this is going to be meme worthy. <laughs> you didn't know those existed back then, did you? Eh. It's gift. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask... And I would give you living water. To us, that sounds very poetic. Oh, Jesus is about to go and do a teaching. She must have thought he was nuts. She says, you don't even have a bucket. What are you going to do? Jump in the well, Shamu? Come on, this doesn't work. What are you, like, come on. Shamu's a, a killer whale. Anyway. 
Jesus says, I'll, I'll give you living water, water that doesn't run out. It, it, it keeps on showing up. And Jesus says to her again, those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. Now she's piqued her interest in him. You're telling me that you have a kind of water that would allow me to stop coming to this place. Tell me about that water. I'd like to know. Sure, he thinks he's weird. Sure, this is the last person on the face of the earth that she'd like to be around. But if this means that she doesn't have to dig deep and go beneath the surface around other people ever again, that would be great because she's the type of person who shows up to a place that she does not believe anyone else will see her. She doesn't want to be seen. She doesn't want to dig deep. She doesn't want to know what's beneath the surface. And she certainly doesn't want to know what other, she certainly doesn't want other people to know what's beneath the surface. She says, okay, give me some of that water and I'll never have to come back here again. Jesus seems to change the subject. There's this really crazy uh, dialogue within the conversation here. Jesus says, okay, go and get your husband. What? She's like, I'm a woman. I'm a woman of, of character. I'm, I'm a grown-up. I don't need to do that. No, that's not what he's talking about. She says, I don't have a husband. Well, now we're starting to learn about her. He says, you're right. You've had five husbands. Finishes that sentence by saying, the man that you're living with today it's not your husband. Now we're understanding why she shows up to a place that she doesn't believe anybody else will be. Now we know why she hides. In those days, divorce was incredibly taboo. In her culture, it would have been reason enough for excommunication. The only people she would have spent her time around were the other sad lives that shared her sad story. People didn't spend time around her. It's not just that Jewish people thought that she was less than. Her own community thought she was less than. The Samaritans didn't even want to be around her. She responds to Jesus and says, oh, okay, well, you must be a prophet, huh? Deflection, right? Well, okay, fine. You must be a prophet. Okay, I give in. You must be so special. And she asks him, tell me this. Where's the true place of worship, you man of God? She goes into this explanation about mountains and places of worship and how Jewish people say you can only worship in Jerusalem and Samaritan people say, no, you need to worship outside of the city. She's like, so who's right? And, and it sounds like she's deflecting. It sounds like she's bouncing off. But I wonder if she's willing to go beneath the surface for the first time. See, in that day, the context tells us that Jewish people and Samaritan people did not worship in the same place. They didn't worship in the same place because Jewish people didn't think Samaritans were worthy of worshiping in their place. Long story, sh long story short, Samaritans were half Jewish, so they weren't purebred, if you will. And so the Jewish people said, you can only worship God in the city of Jerusalem. And then she says, well, we say that we can worship God outside. So what do you say? But what's she really asking? She's really asking, okay, why do people like you hate me so much? And why do you exclude me? If you really know about me, tell me this about myself. Why does everyone look down on me? Do you want to know why I'm closed off? 
Do you want to know why I keep things at the surface? Because any time that I let someone in, they break my heart. Any time that I let someone in, they abuse me. Any time that I let someone in, they betray me. Any time I let someone in, they cheat on me. What were all of the reasons for her marriages failing? I mean, after a while, can you blame this woman? Can you blame her that she's not giving marriage another chance? Can you blame this woman that she's willing to say that my relationships cannot be redeemed? How many different broken examples does she have to live through in her life to finally decide, that's fine, I'm keeping things above the surface. I'm not letting people see my feelings anymore. I'm not letting people see my emotions anymore. And you can do that, and you can become closed off, but your heart will also become cold, and it will be hard, and you will be fragile like glass, and when something knocks against you, you will break or you could be willing to experience emotion. Do you ever notice that the toughest people in this world, I'm not saying the people who just seem tough on the surface. I mean the people who have really been through stuff. They've cried, haven't they? They've screamed, haven't they? Because they know what it's like to hurt. But they also know what it's like to heal. Here's another truth about emotion. Healthy relationships require people to know themselves. You can close yourself off. You could become emotionless. But you will never know what you sound like when you cry. You will never know the, soul, the sound of your soul when it screams. You'll never know what it's really like to go through pain and heal from it. Healthy relationships require people to know themselves, and it's not easy, is it? The deepest relationships that you have are the ones where you are vulnerable. And the person in front of you is vulnerable. Again, this does not mean oversharing. Vulnerability also demands trust. Vulnerability uh, demands a kind of trust that is earned through relationships. A third truth about emotion is that feelings can help us discern God's voice. I've heard it said in churches before, I do not want to listen to my feelings anymore. I just want to listen to the word of God. And it's true, you should listen to the word of God. Absolutely. If God says something, we should obey it, right? Of course. But God is the God with emotion. God is the God who felt deep anger. God is the God who felt deep sadness. And this is the God who says, you were created in my image. And so our emotions are a reflection of God. Now, sometimes the way that we handle our emotions are not a reflection of the way that God handles emotions. For example, if someone looks at you the wrong way and you scowl at them back and say, you don't belong in my life anymore, that's not how God handles emotion. That's not how God handles anger. What we find in the Bible, again, it does not ever tell us that we can hate a person Instead, it tells us that we can hate brokenness. It says that we can hate evil. It says that we can hate illness. It says that we can hate the things that separate us from the life that God intended for us to live. So how do we handle these emotions? That's what can draw us closer to God, and that's how it can help us understand God's voice. So let's go back to what this woman said to Jesus. She said, why is it that you Jews insist that the only place of worship is in Jerusalem, while we Samaritans claim that it is here in Mount Gerizim? Jesus responds to her. He said, listen, it's not about a physical place. 
God is spirit, and God can be present everywhere. And someday you will understand that it's not about a place that you can go. It is not surface-level faith in order to interact with God. Instead, you can go deeper. You can go beyond the physical world and actually have your spirit come alive and experience God wherever you are. And this woman says back to Jesus, well, I know the Messiah is coming. And when maybe this Messiah comes, he will explain everything to us. All these things that you're talking about that don't make a lot of sense to me now. And Jesus responds, I think, with one of the coolest things he says in all the Bible. He says, that's right. And I'm him. I am the Messiah. I'm the one who has come to you. I'm the one who has shown up in your life. You've been trying to climb mountains. You've been trying to stay on the surface. You haven't wanted to go deep beneath below the surface. But now I've shown up to you. I'm the Messiah, and I'm here to explain it all to you. I'm here to tell you about yourself. I'm here to tell you about the things that you don't even know that's happening inside your heart beneath the surface. And the best part about it is I'm not going to leave you when I tell you about those things. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to abandon you. The Bible tells us when it prophesies about Jesus that he will not break even the weakest reed. He shows up and he knows the depths of your heart, but he doesn't abandon you when he talks about those things. Do you know what it's like to have someone care for you so deeply, cheer you on, like your authentic self? Not the things that you put at the surface for everyone else to see, but deep beneath. The things that people would only know about if they've actually walked with you through the highs and lows of life, through the open spaces and the vulnerable corners. Do you know what it's like to have someone cheer for you like that? I've got an amazing relationship with my parents. I'm so grateful for that. I love my mom like crazy. She's amazing. We talk a lot, and one of my like, greatest things, one of, my, one of like, my greatest rewards and satisfactions in life is, is making her proud. And like, if there's ever anything that I've been able to do, and I can tell her about it, and I can tell that she looks proud about it, my soul just feels alive. You know that feeling? Like, not in an unhealthy way of, like, I have to meet your standards, but instead of a way of saying, like, it just pleases me to please you. So when I was in high school, I have another car story that didn't end so well. I, I, I sped really, really, really badly. Really, really, really badly. It was 2.30 in the morning on a Tuesday night. I was not out doing dumb things. I was at a friend's house working on a final project, right? And my partner, one of the partners in the group didn't show up, and I was mad, so I'm driving home from my friend's house, and I'm just angry, and I'm like, I know how I'm going to take out my anger. I'm going to hit the gas. <laughs> so on University Avenue in Waukee, Iowa... I just let it rip, you know? <laughs> just flying. And then I see those friendly red and blue lights in my rear view mirror. I'm like, oh, no. The officer comes to my window and, and says, is there something wrong? <laughs> like, like, no, I'm mad about a project. Sometimes our feelings can make us do things that aren't responsible, right? I was very embarrassed, and I knew when you were driving as fast as I was driving. I'm not going to tell you how fast I was driving, because this is not going to be a competition. <laughs> but I knew that I was going to get a suspension, right? Um, back in that day, uh, 38 years ago, but back in that day, <laughs> we're talking 2009. Back in that day, um, if you had a suspension, um, not only did they give you your suspension, you also had to show up to the DOT and they would explain to you why everything you did was so bad. 
And so I went to the DOT in Adel, and uh, they, like, we didn't have access to this giant, glorious building that's in Ankeny now. And you sat in that DOT office for like four or five hours before you finally had your turn. Anybody relate, please. I'll tell you what. I finally get my name called. They bring me back into this like, like mop closet. And they take a, I mean, it's a table like this big, and we're sitting on like tiny little chairs, and our knees are like rubbing against it. And there's this like authoritarian man sitting across from me, just scowling at me like, do you know what you've done? Do you know what you could have done? And because I wasn't 18 years old, my mom had to come with me. <laughs> it was like, you can't help but feel embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. Like, ah, oh, my goodness. It's humiliating. I was embarrassed in front of this guy. I was really embarrassed in front of my mom. And as we're sitting there, at one point, he finally looks at her and he goes, so how do you know him? <laughs> and after this man has belittled me for about 30 minutes, she puts her arm around me and she goes, I'm his mom. <laughs> she knew what was beneath the surface. She, knew, like, she went into the mop closet with me. <laughs> you want to talk about beneath the surface things you don't want people to see. She went in there with me. She said, I, I love him. He's mine. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable with God. My mom loves me, but God loves me even more. God loves you infinitely more than any human could ever love you. No matter how well that human loves you. My mom loves me really well. She runs away, and she doesn't say it in a horror sort of way, but instead she says it in a joyful sort of way. She says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. It's great, isn't it? He saw beneath the surface. He went into the mop closet with me. And he said, I get to worship him. I get to be with him. Because he's not a God on the surface level. He is a deep and spiritual God who shows up to me. In the book of Hebrews, it brings up those mountains that she talked about. She says, you have not come to a physical mountain for a place of worship, but instead you have come to Mount Zion. And it describes what Mount Zion is. It's not a physical mountain, but you've come to God himself. You have come to Jesus. Jesus has come beneath the surface. He knows what's there. He's your creator. He programmed you. He still has access to all the codes that tell him everything about you. In that chapter in Psalm 139, it also says, your thoughts for me are too great to count. The number of the great thoughts you have about me are too great to count. Oh, how marvelously you think of me. You made me fearfully and wonderfully. You know everything about me. You've gone deep with me. So tonight I want to practice this. I want, you, I want to invite you to look beneath the surface. If you're ready for this, would you look beneath the surface? And I want you to think about two different questions. The first question is, what am I feeling? So if you have a notebook, if you have your phone, go ahead and pull that out and write in the notes in your phone or write in your notebook. And I just want you to answer this question. What am I feeling? Now, I'm not asking you, what am I perceiving? I'm not asking you, what happened? I'm asking you, what am I feeling? There's a difference between that. Sometimes when someone says, how do you feel? And I start to say, I feel like you're a jerk. You're feeling anger. <laughs> you're feeling hurt. 
you're feeling pain, you're feeling sadness. How are you feeling? I'm gonna try it. No, how are you really feeling? I'm not asking to be nosy because I'm not gonna know. But the God who loves you perfectly, answer to him. What are you feeling? And then the second question, how is God meeting me in this feeling? And consider that. The woman at the well was feeling empty and she was trying in every single wrong way to fill up. Filling up through some bad relationships. What are you trying to fill up through? Sometimes it's the bad stuff, right? We try to numb ourselves. The alcohol, the high, the sex, the pornography. And those are the things that we know. I shouldn't do that, right? And then there are the even like righteous things that we try to fill up on just to make the surface look better. Well, I quite often post Bible verses on my story and Everyone sees the surface and thinks I'm doing okay. I've decorated myself in lots of good ways. Like, this is righteous stuff. No. What if we went deeper? What if we filled up on a deeper well? And so for that woman in her emptiness, when she was so thirsty for water that went beyond physical elements and laws of nature... Jesus said, I'll go down there with you. I will go down to the depths of your emptiness. And on the cross in the book of John, several verses, several chapters later, Jesus cried out, I am thirsty. And I just have a hard time believing that in that moment he didn't think of her. The God of the universe is bearing the weight of eternity. He's bearing the weight of all sin. He's bearing the weight of every broken relationship. He's bearing the weight of every disappointment. He's bearing the weight of everything gone wrong. And in that moment, the God of the universe, I believe, thought of her. The woman who didn't want anyone to notice her. You think God doesn't pay attention to you? You think God's not interested in the depths of your soul? You think God won't handle them delicately? Be vulnerable with God. Go beneath the surface. Be aware. Let it change the way that you're interacting with God. And then let it change the way that you see other people. Let God heal you. Let him heal your relationship with him. Let him fill you with real life for your heart, your soul, and your mind. That they might be avenues for love to pour out on the people around you. Amen. Let's stand on up and sing.